Okay, well, welcome church family. Uh, the Sunday after Easter, we've just enjoyed a journey up to Easter, up to that Easter time, to where Christ uh, was crucified on a Friday and uh, rose on a Sunday, and we celebrated that. And as we come now uh, into the, uh, another season uh, post-Easter, I want us to go move back to the book of Nehemiah. I don't want to not finish that up. And so um, we last time uh, we, we were in Nehemiah, we were in uh, chapter 9, and we were looking at uh, how, how, or should I say, we, 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 we combined chapter 8 and chapter 9 because we saw in chapter 8 where the where they were begging Ezra to preach the word of God, and through the preaching of the word of God, it brought them to a place of fasting and prayer. And then through the fasting and, and, and prayer, I, I had that compulsion to say that uh, we, we could see uh, the word of God doing the work of God in people's hearts. And that's what he's, he's continuing to do into this. And I wanted to go to the end of chapter 9 and then refer to chapter 10 today. So let's just pray, and I believe what we're going to see in here, the conditions that the, the people in Nehemiah's day were under, and, and uh, the great distress they were under, and what they did with that, and how they responded to that. And I want us to address that and then relate that to us today. So Father, in the name of Jesus, um, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you take this word and use it, Father, speak to your people and bless your people, enlighten your people, and cause your people to truly be committed to you, to make a covenant with you, and to keep that covenant with you, and to understand what that covenant is that you've actually made with us too. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, just add your blessing. We need your Holy Spirit for to discern this, to understand it, to even preach it. So, Father, come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So at the end of chapter 9, I want to read the verses there. If you've got your Bible, Nehemiah chapter, chapter 9, and I want to start in verse 32. He's just been explaining the, uh, the, how the forefathers were so uh, uh, faith, unfaithful and how faithful God was. God gave them promises, gave them provision, and they kept saying that they would do those things that God had asked them to do, and then they'd fail, and then they'd, 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 they'd be stiff-necked, they'd turn away from him, and then God was always there being faithful. And, um, but starting in, in, in here now, verse 32, I think this will kind of make some sense to you, but uh, it says, Now therefore our God, the great, and, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love. See, that's God's place, but not man's place. And they're acknowledging that. And it says, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. 
and even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. And then here's the result of that, that that they're saying that's causing them great distress today. It says, behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. I think we can see the picture, right? God's faithfulness and man's unfaithfulness. And he says, because of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. And then he says, on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So, And it's it's because of this, this great distress that they have that they're going to make a covenant with God. They're going to sign a covenant. They're going to write it out. And uh, I wanted to just say to you that I, it, it just seems like the conditions of life, the distresses of life, those are the things that can compel us even today to make covenants just like they made covenants back then. And it was the conditions. And I, I uh, wanted to go down in here, the different, all the different names he lists in chapter 10. If you look at that in your Bible, you'll see all the different names. And the first name mentioned is Nehemiah the governor. And he is signing this, this sealed document. And, and then in verse 28 of chapter 10, it says the rest of the people... The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers and their nobles. And they enter into, and then this is, a, this is an, uh, an odd sort of a way to put it, but he says, we enter into a curse and an oath, a curse and an oath. Now, as we read further and we look at this today, what they're saying here is is that in this covenant, under this great distress they're in, they're compelled to make this covenant. And, but they, they, they're saying that, look, we're agreeing to do these things that we're going to covenant with God to do. And if we don't, we are agreeing that we will be cursed if we fail to do them. Now, it, I, I'm, I'm convinced that if it, if it wasn't for the great distress, I don't think they would have made that kind of a commitment. I don't know that they really understood what they were uh, covenanting with God, that they would be cursed if they didn't do these things. And it says, and here's the... Here's the covenant that they're saying they're going to follow. The covenant is an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. If you look further, right down the end of verse 
31, it says, And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. After seven years, they're going to do away with debt. They're going to not let, they're going to let the land sit for a year. And then verse 32, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel. And they go into then, we're going we're gonna to give this stuff, we're, we're going to commit. And then verse 35, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree every year to the house of the Lord. They were, and then the, the last verse of, the chapter nine, of chapter 10, it says, we will not neglect the house of our God. <clears throat> now, they just listed a few things in here, and I didn't read all those verses, and you can read them in your own study. But what they did say is that they will observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. Now, I want, you to, I want to, to read to you Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Again, I encourage you to read around these verses. Read other verses around this, but looking at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, this is what it says. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. But then look at verse 10. And repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. Now, this is a covenant that, that in Nehemiah's day, they're saying we'll do all these things. We'll observe them and we'll do them. And then he says, he, God, will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandments and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. It was under great duress. It was under great distress. It was the conditions of distress that compelled in Nehemiah's day for everyone that had under, even down to the little ones that had understanding to sign this covenant, to agree to this covenant. I think they put themselves in a terrible bind that's my thoughts on that. They put it in writing. They sealed it. That means they're not going to reopen it and agreeing to be cursed if they don't obey it. Wow. Well, we just celebrated Easter. And all the way going from when Jesus was in Galilee and set his face to go up to Jerusalem to be baptized in the baptism that he needed to be baptized in, to be crucified on a cross, to be buried and then rise again. In that process, fortunately for us, Christ introduced a new covenant. And when he looked, when he looked at the law, he, he said that he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. So all these righteous requirements, all these obligations, all the list of things 
Christ was going to bear that upon himself and free us from that law that we see listed in the Old Testament. Let me give you some uh, verses in regards to if you make this kind of covenant to follow his law. It says Galatians 2.16. It says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. By works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you feel for the people in Nehemiah's day? But it was under great distress that they were compelled to sign that covenant. Galatians 2.19 says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now, I read, in, I read in one commentary a statement that says, the road to freedom from the law is through the law. Before we come, become a Christian, before we come and bow our knee to Christ, the law is what draws us to Christ. Because the law is what we see, and we see it written down, and we think we cannot do that. We try to do it, and we keep failing And it comes to a place when finally someone presents Christ to us, someone comes and preaches the good news to us, and we see that that Christ has freed us from the law. And so it's in in, and I want so the road to freedom from the law is through the law. The law is what leads us to Christ and wanting Christ and wanting this new covenant that I'm going to talk about in a minute. But in Galatians 3:10. It says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. They said that in Nehemiah's day. It was to enter into a curse and an oath. Did they really know what they were doing? Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. They couldn't do that. Nobody can do all the things in the book of the law. They're going to fail. We're all fail. We will, we will fail. But then fortunately, the good news in Galatians 3.13 is Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. See, that's how he fulfilled the law. He didn't abolish it. He fulfilled it by going to the cross and, and taking this curse of the law upon himself to free us from the curse of the law. For it is written, cursed is everyone who, hang, who hanged on a tree. And right before his crucifixion, he had the last supper. And he told his disciples in Luke twenty two twenty, this is the kind of covenant now that we have that when we're under great distress, when life distresses us, when conflicts happen, when things that just drive us to a place of total despair, then we are compelled to look for a covenant that's going to set us free. And this is the covenant that Christ did before, that we talked about before Easter. He said, Luke twenty-two twenty. he said, this cup, that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. He shed his blood. He gave his life. 
Matthew 26, 28 says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, maybe, maybe you've made a covenant. Maybe you've been under great duress and stress, and you, you think about what God says. You need to do this and do that and do the other. Now, all those things are good things. They're lined out to guide us and help us. But when we're trying to live under that curse, we are cursed, and it is just too difficult to live like that. And what Christ wants us to know is that has been fulfilled now through his blood, through his death on the cross, and the fact that he's rose again anew, we can follow him in that, and we can be freed from this curse of the law. It's a wonderful covenant that he's now given us. It shows that God is committed to us. His, his covenant Yes, in Nehemiah's day, God never failed the people. He was truthful and honest with the people, even when the people were wicked and stubborn. And when we're wicked and stubborn and we're unfaithful, God is still faithful with us. And he holds out nail-pierced hands to us in in the name of Christ and says, receive the forgiveness of your wickedness and your rebellion and your stiff-neckedness. And he's asking us for that. And it's not until we get into a condition of great distress that we'll be compelled to even lean into this covenant, even in this covenant of blood, this covenant of Christ that he's died on the cross. Isaiah 42, 6, this is from the Old Testament, prophesying of this new covenant that Christ is going to bring us, that has already brought us, He says, I am the Lord, and I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand, and I will keep you. Boy, this is a a good covenant we have now. Isaiah 54.10 says, My covenant of peace shall not be removed. He is the Prince of Peace, and he's come to give you peace. And that peace is found in the cross, in his blood, freedom from the law, the curse of the law. And as ministers now, ministers of the gospel, just like the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Second Corinthians, he said, I'm now, I'm a minister, we're ministers of a new covenant, this covenant in Christ's blood. Not the covenant that they wrote in Nehemiah's day to the follow the observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes, but a new covenant. Ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter. The letter is those things that Moses wrote. But he says, but of the spirit, for the, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, let's be clear on this, though, okay? In the new covenant, when we come to Christ, the Bible tells us that Christ gives us a new heart. He's, he begins to change our mind. And then he takes this law of God, the letter of God, And by the Spirit of God, he writes it on our hearts and writes it in our minds. And then, you see, we are moved to follow him because of the spiritual life that he's given us. Our natural life cannot follow that law. It can't. It's a curse. But through Christ and the change that Christ brings, 
He puts new life into us. He puts his law into us. He writes it there. And we find ourselves walking and obeying that, wanting to do it. That's what Christ did on Easter Sunday. And so I don't know where you're at, whether you've put your trust in Christ. I know many of you that I'm talking to have put your trust in Christ. Many of you that worship here at Calvary Alliance Church, you've put your trust in Christ. You, you, you had a, I've heard your testimonies. You came to places of great distress, great trouble, and then you bowed your knee. Somebody told you about Jesus, and you saw that he gives us a new covenant in his blood, and you said, that's what I need, and he came and gave you life, and he intends to give you life to the full. Now, let's get real. How many of you, yes, you did that. Some of you watching may haven't done that yet. But God has that plan for you, just holding out his nail-pierced hands for you. But for those of you that entered into that, it was wonderful, wasn't it? The, the word of God came alive because the spirit of God is interpreting it for you. Your hearts are changed. You find yourself following God's loving rules, if you will, because he's poured them into your heart. You've changed your life. You've changed your, you're a different person at work. You're a different person at home. That's what you were like. But then this distresses come, and stress comes, and life hits you hard. You may have suffered the loss of a friend or a loved one. Disease or sickness gets a hold of you. And all of a sudden, you start getting discouraged. Even though you, you, maybe, you, you were compelled to make a covenant, you may have even made an own personal note in your journal. I am committing to Christ. I am giving my life to Christ. And then life hits you hard just like they was hitting them in Nehemiah's day. And you were feeling like you were getting crushed. You began to lean back into the world, the world where you came from. The apostle Peter talks about it in, in, uh, in Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2. And I encourage you to read those verses. I'm not going to spend the time reading those verses today, but I encourage you to read those verses. Those verses have spoken mightily to me over the years because I, as a young person, gave my life to Christ, and, and I was changed when I picked up the Bible. The Bible came alive to me, but I didn't get rooted, and I didn't get grounded into the things of the Lord. And all of a sudden, I was wandering away. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, it talks about how the world, you get entangled in the world and it begins to drag you down. And he, and he says, you're like a, a dog that returns to its vomit or a, a sow that goes wallowing in its mud. He says, you're actually worse off at the end than you were at the beginning. You got caught up. You got caught up in the things of the world. The, the defilements of the world, the, the, the scripture says. In the, in the Greek, it talks about the, the uh, miasma. That's a word. Just Google it. You'll research it. The contagions of the world, the miasma. Now, that miasma uh, used to be in the, up until about 1880, it used to be like the putrid smells that would come from things that are rotting. And they believed that that was the miasma. And they believed that all kinds of contagions were coming out of the odors 
that would come from things dead and dying. And they've since now changed that theory to being diseases that spread in the air and the atmosphere. But however you look at it, the Bible talks about this miasma and, and it talks about how we have to be aware of the defilements and not get caught up in them. Now, as I thought about that, I thought about where we're at right now with this coronavirus. It's a virus. And it, we're told that we're to practice social distancing. We're to keep our distance because, and they've had the, you've seen the news reports, they've had these things, how well, how far can these droplets from our mouth when we, when we cough or when we speak or when right now I just saw a droplet come out of my mouth while I was preaching. And if I had the coronavirus in there, how far is that going to go and infect somebody? These are the defilements. This is the miasma. And Peter was warning the, the believers, be aware of this and, and don't get, don't get uh, the contagion on you. Practice not necessarily social distancing, but spiritual distancing. You know, the, we often say in the, in, about the Christians, we have to be in the world, but not of it. The contagion is there all the time. And we have to practice spiritual distancing. And if we fail to keep our spiritual distance, or be aware of it when we walk into the world, or work in the world, or live in the world, or enter into a realm where we're around folks that really don't, they don't know Christ yet. We have to guard ourselves, arm ourselves with the things of the Spirit, with the armor of God, with the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and all, those, all that armor and that equipment that we put on ourselves because we mustn't get caught up in it. Don't be conformed to the world, the Bible tells us. Jesus, we were told that then we're not of the world just as Christ is not of the world, but we're in it. And so we're all thinking that in two weeks, we're going to get back together and have church. And we're going to get together. But we still, in a physical sense, with this coronavirus, we're going to have to be wise and, and, and figure out how can we be together and yet not, if any of us were, had that coronavirus, not contaminate anybody. Well, I want to encourage you that when you, if, if great distress has brought you to Christ and you made a covenant with Christ and you recognize that he made a covenant to, uh, to us, that God is always committed to us. God will always reach out his hand in righteousness to us. He'll always take our hand and he'll always keep us. His covenant with us of peace shall not be removed. And we have to make sure that we stay committed. Because just as Conditions of great distress compel us to sign a covenant. A covenant requires us to stay firm in our commitment to the covenant we've made. Now, how do we do that? I'm going to finish up here with this. How do we do that? Well, you can do nothing, nothing without the Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit of God first thing. So ask for the Holy Spirit of God to come and fill you. And be blessed by that and be strengthened by him. We also need the word of God. The word of God. The life of God. It's important to bury yourself in this word. To study the word. To soak in the word. I'm not talking about necessarily just like in a week trying to read it all. I'm 
talking about soaking in the presence of God, being still and knowing that God is God. Get into the chapters and the Gospels and get into the book of Acts and take your time. Go to the Psalms, go to the Proverbs. And then, as we come back to get together, Enter into a small group. Enter into a fellowship. Get into where there's a teacher there, gifted teacher that's teaching the Word of God. Sit under the preaching of the Word of God. Read books about the Word of God. Read commentaries about the Word of God. Read the history of the church and what people did when they went through great distresses and how they stayed strong. Then also read about what happened when they failed and how did they ever come back. It can be great forms of encouragement. We're going to get more into Nehemiah right here, more into where he went as we close out this great book, this great book of Nehemiah. But they were compelled. They were compelled to do this because of the great distress. It was the word of God that moved them. Ezra's preaching that moved them, caused them to fast and caused them to pray. The word of God began to do the work of God in their hearts. They were so compelled to, to write a covenant, but I don't know that they really knew what they were doing. But we have an awesome God now. Christ has come and he's finished the work. He's not abolished the law, but he fulfilled it. And through him, we don't have to live by the law. It's by faith in Christ that we live, and that's a great source of freedom. The Bible says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, and we are free in the covenant that Christ has given us, his blood, his body. And we are going to celebrate communion when we come back together as a church. And it's going to be a great day. And we're going to stay committed. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to be aware of the contagions that can hit us in the spiritual realm. And we're going to be guarded against it. Not just today, not just in this current crisis, but ongoing until Christ takes us home. I just pray that if you've not committed your life to Christ, that you'll do that today. Give your life to Him. Make a covenant with Him. His covenant with you will never fail. He will hold your hand all the way to the end. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to pray for each one watching. I pray for, uh, Father, for the future of the, of the preaching of the Word of God here and the teaching of the Word of God, that it would go and, and not return void that do the work that you intended to do. And Father, bless each person that has taken the time and even got to the end of this message and listened. I pray that they've given their life to Christ. They've made a covenant with Christ. They recognize that Christ has made a covenant with them. And Father, in the name of Jesus, may each one of us stay committed. In Jesus' name, amen. That might have been a little longer today. Oh, that's great.